Amen. Near to the heart of God. <clears throat> Draw us nearer, God. On uh, Christmas Day, Christmas this year fell on a Sunday. Um, Y'all remember that? This past Christmas. Uh, and um, I started my sermon. We had a worship service here. Um, and it was at 10 o'clock. And I started my sermon that Sunday by asking a simple question. The question was, what is today? Is what I posed. And uh, because there were several answers that you could give that day. Jesus is always a good answer. Anytime anyone asks anything in church, just say Jesus. All right? I'm just saying. Um, we could have said today is Jesus' birthday. Or we could have said today is Sunday. Today is Christmas. Or today is the start of a Christmas season. So this morning, if I posed a similar question, what is today? You would all say... You would say, Jesus, yes. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> you would say, Jesus. Some of you would say, Super Bowl Sunday. Some of you, you say, what is today? Go Eagles, right? right? And um, <clears throat> what is today? Today is the day when the Chiefs and the Eagles play and the Eagles win. So that is what today is all about. My son, Josiah, this is what... The whole entire Pendelco school district has been talking about Super Bowl. Uh, and Josiah was learning about the Super Bowl. And he came to me uh, this past week and said, Dad, do you know it costs $7 billion million for a 30-second ad on TV today on Super Bowl Sunday? And I was like, that's a lot of money, bud. And he's like, I know, right? There's another thing that I've been thinking about. Another thing that we do on this special day, this Super Bowl Sunday, a lot of us gamble. American Gaming Association tells or predicts that Americans today will spend about $16 billion in gambling. $16 billion. Just take a minute to think about it. I was trying to do some math to see like how big this amount was. And for Sudan's uh, country, the entire nation of Sudan, their GDP is, you know, in other words, their annual budget, give or take, um, is $80 billion. $16 billion is what we're going to be spending today as a nation. People are trying to figure out which team is going to win. I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, and he was telling me um, that his brother is really into gambling. And apparently, it's not just who wins the game anymore. I'm not familiar with gambling, and I'll tell you in a minute why. Um, but he was saying that who scores, you can win money on it. And this was the one that made me laugh a little bit. I was like, no, this is not true. Apparently, you can bet on which color Gatorade is dumped on the coach. Whether it is red, grape, or yellow, right? Like, they're gambling on everything. So, uh, the reason um, the United Methodist Church, that's what the church that we belong to, the United Methodist Church, Mount Hope is part of this church, there's a worldwide church. Uh, we have a very strong stance against gambling. And um, I was talking about gambling in a Bible study one day, and I was telling a church member about, you know, just why we... The United Methodist Church doesn't gamble and, you know, uh, doesn't do any of that stuff. And uh, just sharing that. And he looks at me and he goes, Pastor, you should gamble. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> and I said, I, said, I don't want to lose my job. 
right? But we do it. We do it all the time. But here's my question. $16 billion. Just imagine how much we can do if that money, as a nation, as individuals, we put that money to combat poverty or to help those who are uh, battling food insecurity here in our country or somewhere else. Just imagine how much good that can be done. And the question that I want to ask us this morning, uh, clearly, I don't like to gamble, and I hope that you don't either, but <laughs> is it wise to gamble? Is it wise to gamble? Right? Is it wise to gamble? Because this is how the scripture starts out today. Who is wise and understanding among you? That's what James is asking. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise? If you're wise, would you gamble? James further goes on to say, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Here, James is challenging each one of his friends this morning, is asking a simple question. Who is wise? Who is a person that is filled with wisdom? James goes on to talk about what actions we need to do in order to live a life that is filled with wisdom. So the question we ask today is, what would you do? How would you live your life? We're doing the sermon series where we're kind of focusing on a question uh, for the past several weeks. Uh, it's, we're calling it WW-D. And our hope is that you would fill your name in that. Uh, it kind of stems from what would Jesus do? Uh, and, uh, but we are asking, what would you do? What would Johnson do? What would Cindy do? What would Bob do? And we've been asking this question over and over again for the past several weeks. Last week, Pastor Joanne talked about uh, speech, how we can hurt one another, cause harm to one another with our words, and how we are called to be careful in how we communicate. WW-D, what would you do? Is the question. How would you live a life that is filled with wisdom? I want to share a biblical story with you about a person who is not wise. See, when you read this individual's story, when you look at his story as his life, he actually doesn't do a lot of bad things. He does a few things that are kind of, eh, maybe so. There are people who've done much worse things than what this guy has done. But this guy, I think, was foolish. The person I'm talking about, his name is Saul. He was the first king of Israel. Uh, and uh, he was the first king to be coronated of Israel. And the author in 1 Samuel, he speaks highly of Saul when he's introduced. He speaks glowingly about Saul. He talks about how handsome and good looking he was. How tall he was. And Paul and Saul here, King Saul, had very simple responsibilities. He had to do two things. That's it. Two things, and he would have had a life of privilege. His primary job responsibilities were two. One, govern with justice over the people of Israel. Govern with justice and do what God commanded you to do. That's it. 
do those two things, your whole family will be kings forever. His children would be kings. His sons, sons would be a king of Israel. All this power and privilege was given to this man named Saul. But soon we would learn that his reign came to an end and he died in battle. And the reason for that is comes from us from two stories. Uh, that is in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 13 and 15. 1 Samuel 13. Paul, Saul did not seek God's wisdom. The king of Israel had specific responsibilities that he was supposed to do, as I stated. The priest had some very specific responsibilities to do as well. So the king was supposed to govern. The priest was the one who was supposed to do, offer the burnt offerings. He had a priestly duty. That's what the priest was supposed to do. So Saul is in battle. He goes down to battle. He is settled in a place called Gilgal. And the Philistines are about to wage a battle over him. And he is there. And before they go into battle, Saul would like to offer a burnt offering. And he sends word to the priest and the prophet who is Samuel. To say, hey Samuel, why don't you come over here? Let's do this burnt offering before I go into battle. And Samuel doesn't come right away. I don't know what Samuel was doing. But for seven days he waits. He waits for seven days. And, Paul, and Saul here starts looking around. His men are getting scared and are worried. He looks at his soldiers. And then he makes this decision. He says, you know what? I'll just do it. We waited seven days. Samuel's not here. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do, I'm going to do the offering right here. And he does it. And Samuel who is the priest, condemns him for that. Some of you might be saying, but pastor, like, why did he get condemned for this? You know, he waited seven days for battle. Like, you know, what, what, what's the big deal? He did what he was supposed to do. He sent word for the prophet to come, and he never came. The priest never came, so, you know, he did it himself. Waiting before a battle is something that is, was common in when Saul was king. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Anybody? Right? You all heard it in Sunday school? Please nod your heads. Alright, thank you. You heard the story. I personally think we should never teach the story of David and Goliath in Sunday school. Because when my kids were younger, my father-in-law was reading the story of David and Goliath to Eli and Samara. Uh, they were quite young. Like, you know, they were able to comprehend and you know, my father-in-law tells the story. He, they, David took a stone and threw it with a sling and hit Goliath in the head. And he fell down. And David ran over. He took a big knife and cut his head. And there was blood all over. Right? Like, that's the story. And Samara's face was like, what just happened? <laughs> right? That's the story. You know that story that would we forget? King Saul waited 40 days before battle. For 40 days he waited, but he couldn't wait after seven days. Maybe he thought he didn't trust God. He did something foolish. And this is what we read in 1 Samuel 13. 
So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. You have done a foolish thing. You've not kept the command that God gave you. You've done a foolish thing. Saul, you did not act in wisdom, but rather you've done a foolish thing. Friends, when we do foolish things, when we don't act out of wisdom, we end up living with some harsh consequences. And one of the consequences that Saul receives because of this act, where he didn't trust God, but he didn't obey God's word was the fact that his son would not become the king of Israel. And then later, <clears throat> then later, Saul does something else that comes to us in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And actually, when you read 1 Samuel 15, we see the words that God actually weeps that he picked Saul to be the king. See, Saul was commanded by God to go into battle and not bring any plunder back home. It was a simple command. Go into battle and kill everything that you see. The cattle and the sheep, plunder it, kill it. Know that God has given you the enemy and go and do it. But Paul and his soldiers think differently a little bit. They spared the best sheep and cattle and brought it back home. I think Saul would have thought, you know, I understand God is telling me to kill all the cattle and sheep. Maybe I'll keep the best ones and take them home. Why, why would we kill them? Why would we waste this good stuff? Yeah, I guess he was being practical. But I guess Paul, Saul also forgot the fact that we worship a God who provides. That we worship a God who will provide no matter what. And we worship a God who tells us to follow the commandments that he has given us. Paul here, Saul here acted out of foolishness. Thinking that he knew better. He knew better than what God commanded him to do. Later in chapter 15 we learn that after all this has happened. King Saul was more worried about what the public perception was. About him. Than actually. The command that he broke. He wanted the prophet to be with him. So that everybody would think. That he has done something good. That is foolishness. To worry about what other people think. And say about us. Instead of following God's commandments. James is asking this question. Who among you is wise? Let them show it by their good life. See the story of Saul that amazes me. Is he didn't. There were other kings who had committed adultery. And killed and murdered innocent people. But Saul acted out of foolishness. Thinking he can go against God's commands. Worrying about things and forgetting that God is 
his protector. That is foolishness, friends. So here's the question. How do we live? How do you and I live this day? Learning that living in foolishness is, does not end well for us. James here gives three very specific examples as to how we are called to live as people who are seeking wisdom. We're called to walk in humility. We're called to walk in humility. Not walk around thinking that we are the best thing since sliced bread. We are called to walk in humility. We're called, according to James and what we read today, we're called to show kindness. Kindness in our speech, kindness in the way we treat those who we think are insignificant. Show kindness to those that we might have a prejudice against. We are called to show kindness to all people. We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to seek peace, not be quick to enter conflict. We are called to make peace. We are called to be, do these things, to be humble, show kindness, and to seek peace. The other thing that James here is talking to us is he tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from you. We are called to resist the temptation that come our way. Friends, there's always this voice in your head that's telling you to do something you're not supposed to. We all have. Resist the devil. Are you being tempted this day to do something that you know you're not supposed to do? Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Resist the temptation. When we resist it, when we say no, God will deliver us. In another, um, in 1 Corinthians, we are told and reminded that there is no temptation that has overtaken us. There is no temptation that has overtaken us, that we are powerless, that we cannot say no to something. That God will provide a way for when we say no to that which is bad for us. God will provide a way out for us. Resist the devil. Resist the temptations that are knocking on your heart and God will deliver you. And finally, James ends with these words, calling us to draw near to him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I've always struggled with those words. The reason I've uh, struggled with those words is because I believe that God is always there near us. Here's what we read, come near to God and he will come near to you. Or draw near to God and God will draw near to you. The reason I always struggled with, these, with this particular verse is because I believe that we believe in a God that is always there for us. That we don't have to do anything to receive God's love and condition, um, God's love for us. 
So I, I was meditating on this word and wondering what this means. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. God's already there. Why do I need to do this? What do I need to do? And I believe the way I read these words is drawing near to God is an intentional act on our part where we seek God's presence. Yes, God is always there. You might have a good friend uh, in your life that you talk to often. And you do life with them. And they talk back to you. Friends, I want us to see our relationship with God as that way, in the same way that we see a friendship. Draw near to God. Are you seeking God in your day-to-day -day life? Or is God an afterthought? Are you drawing to God every single day through prayer, through reading the scriptures, by doing our devotions? Draw near to God. Are you seeking God intentionally? That is a challenge for us, friends. WW-D, what would you do? How would you live a life that is filled with wisdom? How do you seek wisdom? Here are the key elements for us to do in order to live a life that is filled with wisdom. Be humble, show kindness, be a peacemaker, resist the devil, and seek God every day. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the ways you bless us and you care for us. Thank you for your word that calls us to live a life that is filled with wisdom. God, we ask that you would give us the strength to be humble, to show kindness, to seek peace. God, we ask that you would give us the strength to resist the temptations we face each day. God, help us to seek you intentionally every day. In your name we pray.